0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. My guest this week is Dr. Daniel for and we're talking about ancestral lineage healing. So this week's episode doesn't really have anything at all to do with growing your business. It's really about looking at wellness from a very holistic perspective and looking at the effect that our lineage might have on our lives today. Now, this could be a completely radical out there idea for you, and I know it used to be for me as well. And then I got into genealogy and then came across Daniel's book, Ancestral Medicine, and it really shifted my perspective around how our ancestors, whether we knew them or not, these thousands of generations of ancestors might actually be impacting our lives today. And these patterns that repeat um, throughout the generations, and we're starting to see this now with epigenetics, which I've talked about in previous episodes. So in this episode, we are talking about the ancestors, who are the ancestors, and they're your blood lineage as well as other ancestors, how to start to connect with these ancestors, some of the blessings and burdens that can come um, from our ancestral lineages, How those of us with European ancestry have lost these traditions and how we can start to reclaim our own traditions about working with ancestors and acknowledging the ancestors um, and also how we can learn from other cultures who have unbroken traditions in a respectful, collaborative Um, curious sharing type way rather than just taking and appropriating Um, and generally how you can just start to weave the ancestors into your life if that's something that you would like to explore to help yourself feel connected and grounded and to receive these blessings and boosts and support from the ancestors that are no longer here with us. As I said, I came across Daniel's book, Ancestral Medicine Rituals for Personal and Family Healing, and I found it absolutely fascinating. I've been working through it myself. I've bought copies for other people. Um, So I really was excited to bring Daniel to you on the podcast. So I'd really encourage you if this podcast makes you curious to learn more, I definitely suggest his book. And like I mentioned, I'll be participating in his online course later this fall um, for ancestral lineage healing as well, um, which might be something that you'd like to look into. And as always, we like to discuss every every week's episode in our Facebook community. It's a free Facebook group, the Wellpreneur community, and there are over 5,000 entrepreneurs in there discussing the podcast and sharing information and asking questions and supporting each other. It's lovely and it's totally a promo free zone. So I'd love to have you join us over there. Just search for Wellpreneur community on Facebook. Now let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Daniel Four is a licensed psychotherapist and a doctor of psychology. He's led ancestral and family healing intensives throughout the United States and around the world since 2005. He's an initiate in the IFA Orisa tradition of Yoruba-speaking West Africa and is trained with teachers of mayayana buddhism islamic sufism and different indigenous paths including the older ways of his european ancestors he lives in Asheville, north carolina and i'm very excited to have daniel Four on the show with us today i hope you enjoy this episode hi daniel thanks for joining me on the podcast today
1: thank you it's good to be here
0: so why don't we start off by having you describe what it is that you do how do you explain your work
1: Yeah, well, I'm a a ritualist, a priest, you could say. I have a background in psychology and religion, but I help people to come back into relationship with the earth, the other, than humans, the plants, the animals, the elements, and deities. And within that, I have developed over the years a specialization and work with the ancestors, so the human folks that are not incarnate right now. And... Do a lot of teaching around ancestral lineage and family healing, but the larger context is uh, educating through guiding experiential ritual and helping people to reclaim a framework for relationship with the wider community of people, not all of whom are human, not all of whom are visible to us.
0: Mm-hmm. I found you originally through your book ancestral medicine um, which I found I guess I started on genealogy and started you know naming my ancestors and learning more about them and then I stumbled across your book and it really brought it to another level for me realizing that actually I could get into relationship with these people even if I, hadn't known them personally. Um, And that's the conversation that I wanted to have today and, and kind of bring to the audience. So I'm curious for people that aren't familiar with this kind of work at all, like who, who are the ancestors?
1: Yeah. in in the broadest sense, the ancestors, as I think of them, at least are the human dead, the ones who are not incarnate right now, but who previously lived or may live again in human form. And we can think of human as a like a, the sphere or a calabash in two halves, and there's the seen or unseen, the, this world and their world, and so the ones being born now are the ancestors returning. When someone dies here, it's the the birth, hopefully, of an ancestor in the other world. So there's a cycling between here and there, and there are many kinds of ancestors that might be important in our lives, the ones who lived where we're living now, ancestors of place. Ancestors of vocation or of spiritual lineage or people who have uh, been inspiring to us culturally or lived in a similar kind of way. And then there are ancestors of blood and family, which are not exactly the same, but often they overlap a lot. And And those ancestors of family and blood lineage can be especially impactful in our lives. And they, when I say the ancestors, it's important to appreciate that they are not only the recent dead, they include thousands of years of folks, and they're not only individuals, they're also lineages and groups and collectives um, in spirit, and they have a lot of impact on our lives in the present mm.
0: Um, yeah, let's talk about that impact because I grew up in America and my ancestry is very Northern European. And I, what I've come to realize is that I felt growing up like it's just us, like it's just my immediate family, kind of forging our path in humanity. Which is ridiculous, you know. It's crazy now that I feel like I ever th- felt that way because, you know, like you said, there's thousands of generations behind us, and we are those people. We're connected to them. Um, so for people that are just you know, haven't thought about this before, what are the kind of impacts that you see that ancestors could have on our lives today?
1: Yeah, let me speak to that and also how the framework got lost. It's important to recognize that where a framework for relationship with the ancestors has um, been lost or broken down, it can be viewed as a kind of cultural damage from histories of colonialism and oppression and a silencing of more earth-connected traditions. And, you know, as someone of early German, English, Irish, settler, colonialist ancestors, I didn't receive that framework. I've had to reclaim it from uh, learning from cultures that have things more intact. And when that framework is reclaimed, the relationships that are already playing out unconsciously can be worked with in a more conscious way, of course. And the impact that's happening, whether or not it's conscious, can be really positive. They can bring blessing and guidance and healing and protection to our lives when the ancestors are looking out for us. And when the dead are not in a healed and well condition, as is unfortunately so often the case, they can also be a source of physical, psychological, spiritual illness, of accidents, disease, hardship, bad fortune, confusion, premature death, things like that so yeah we're inseparably connected to them we're not nearly as individual as the culture often would have us believe and that that's an important paradigm shift it was for me and it's one that I uh, I've seen a lot of people shift themselves
0: I've been reading a lot about the idea of epigenetics and I know that You know, that idea that trauma could be passed down through the generations or that, you know, things that have happened in the past are actually affecting how we live today. Um, And that feels a bit more scientific than what your approach is. But I'm curious, I don't know, what's been your experience with that idea of epigenetics or like ancestral patterns?
1: Yeah, sure. It's complimentary. A lot of folks who never lost the framework would be like, all right, science is starting to kind of catch up. Uh, and the idea that basically a, a lot of cultures that are steeped in ritual, whether or not they're indigenous per se, have a more flexible experience of time that has to do more with stories and patterns and meaning than it does with only linearity. Linearity is a, is a function of um, wounding or an indicator of colonialism in a sense in terms of how time is experienced. It means that the stories, when they're not resolved, will repeat, and they'll manifest again through new lives, new generations, new physical forms. And epigenetics is like, hmm, these stories seem to be repeating. And a lot of ritualists are like, uh-huh, you just let us know when you want us to break that down to do you. And so it's not to minimize the science, it's critically important, but what's interesting to me is like, okay, there's intergenerational influence, whether or not it's consciously transmitted. Check. Now, how do we work with it? Mm. How do we transform it? How do we actually resolve the suffering as it plays out in specific lives? And so that's the, the application of, of epigenetics, traditionally speaking, happens through ancestor-focused ritual. Mm-hmm. And making sure that the ancestors who were in a troubled state previously received the healing that they need to be in a healed state. Because just dying doesn't make you well and wise and kind. And then once they're in a healed state, asking them to actually shift the blood, bone, body level imprint that is a reverberation from where they used to be so that our condition is now updated.
0: Mm. I'm curious, how did you get started working with the ancestors?
1: Yeah, I had the good fortune in the late 90s to have uh, early teachers in paganism, shamanism, that kind of thing nudge me to engage my own ancestors it was a very helpful prompt. And that set me on a path of inquiry about my own family, which prior to that I had a lot of judgment about as a young person and didn't see them as a source of spiritual kind of value or goodness. But I was looking too narrowly, and I came to understand more about the history, about how earth-honoring values uh, gradually were Uh, diminished in the culture because of the histories of occupation and oppression in the Americas uh, from European ancestry people. And it set me on a long, winding and really ongoing path of reclaiming what is uh, valuable and beautiful about my own heritage, and by extension, my own body.
0: It's interesting. Um, There's a a couple of different areas I want to pick up on that you talked about. But one is something I've noticed is Like, we're really hungry for this type of connection and feeling rooted and connected somewhere and connected to the land and also connected to those who came before us. But, like, it feels like the thing that's sexy and popular right now is for to go after like South American shamanism stuff or like work with like plant medicine, do hallucinogenic things, or, you know, do the Native American stuff. And, But what I thought was interesting about your work is it's about, like, we all have, I mean, all people have this type of wisdom in our past. So we can actually connect with what's true for our heritage first before looking at at other things. I don't know. Can you kind of share some of your thoughts around that?
1: It's a big set of questions but uh, and important. Briefly, uh, I do think it's valuable for people to reckon with and engage their ancestors of blood a bit. Uh, that will reduce the risk of coming to other cultures in a clingy, needy, potentially appropriating and harmful way because there's a tendency to um, see already within yourself that at least your own ancestors embodied some of those similar values you might be seeking in the Amazon or Mongolia or wherever. Uh, Now, that said, I, I don't see it as inherently automatically problematic to engage in learning and exchange with cultures different than your blood ancestry. I'm not a racial essentialist. I don't think that all sort of black people need to do black things and white people need to do white things. And um, that that kind of stance um, is a internalizing and replicating of a false idea of different races. And it uh, minimizes the, the beauty and Um, sheer numbers of uh, multiracial people and so it's important to have uh, an appreciation that cultural exchange can happen consensually with reciprocity and with humility Mm. now it doesn't always happen that way so there are ways to uh, enact cultural learning and exchange more and less consciously and if it's not done consciously it can totally exacerbate old harms as well and uh, and, but the intact indigenous and other earth-honoring cultures, because not all earth-honoring cultures are indigenous per se, but intact, more intact cultures, let's say, um, that's a source of real wealth. And the people who are dedicating their lives to maintaining those traditions um, should be well compensated and supported and able to provide for their families and their service. And if people from... More culturally dislocated backgrounds can beneficially learn those ways in a way that enacts reciprocity and an ethic of family and a shared journey together. That can actually be a healthy form of exchange.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, it's it's complicated. We're we're bound up with one another's faith.
0: Mm-hmm. So, thank you. No, that was a really. That was a really good explanation of it. I've always felt like um, my background is in herbal medicine, and and I know that we in like European herbal medicine lost a lot of that during the witch burnings when they were burning a lot of healers. And so, you know, there is, there is information that we can pull from, but also it is nice to, you know, get grounded in your own background, but then you can also exchange and learn from other cultures as well. So I like the way you explain that, that... We should still share, but it's more the energy behind it of a exchange rather than taking <laughs> and appropriating. Yeah.
1: To be really proactively aware of impact. And beyond that, to include proactively in your, your spiritual practice or your just life path and business and service, whatever that is, uh, anti-oppression ethic, to, to proactively seek You know, to ask, how can I do whatever it is I'm going to do in a way that proactively participates in cultural healing around legacies uh, of racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, exploitative capitalism, religious bigotry. These different troubles that we're steeped in Mm -hmm. culturally is possible to do what we're going to do Mm -hmm. in the world in a way that uh, foregrounds those concerns.
0: Now, I want to pick up on something you said a bit earlier about just because people pass on, right, and aren't in human form on the earth anymore doesn't mean that they're a healed, well ancestor. And that's what really struck me in your book is that this idea that we've got, you know, thousands of generations of ancestors going back and maybe some of them, they're not all just, you know, all wise and all knowing and perfect just because they pass on. And so that there's some healing that can be done, not even just for us, today, but for the ancestors as well.
1: It's a big, important, and also very sad Mm. subject. Uh, In general, I would invite listeners to appreciate that the culture, the dominant culture, let's say generalizing here, encourages people to cease caring for or relating with people once the body dies. And that's actually a very vulnerable time to die because you're getting acquainted to a whole new uh, condition And the recent dead need our care and prayers and support uh, more than ever in that tender moment of transition. And ideally, there is a transition after the death of the body because just dying doesn't make you an ancestor. An ancestor is more like a status of uh, being seated, being well, being connected to other well and wise ancestors. There's a transitional period there. A lot of culture is given about a year or at least a few months. But in, in reality, it can happen quicker or it can happen not at all. But the, the sense is that there's a, a journey across some liminal or transitional space after death. And ideally, you get acquainted to your new reality. But a lot of people, because they don't have the engagement from the living, they don't. Cross the river, so to speak. They come splashing back into the realm of the living, and like, what am I doing here? People are ignoring me. I'm dead. This is confusing, or, or I'm confused. They don't even realize they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so, we have a, a, a ghost epidemic essentially because we have a cultural habit of not tending to our relationships after the death of the body. The culture has tended to delegitimize the personhood or the reality of the dead and so it's a it's a failure to care ethically for them and there are consequences then And we get intergenerational uh, ghost trouble and that shows up as physical illness or all, all kinds of different ways and the dead when they're here and they haven't left they haven't gone through that status change um they eat the living that sounds a little harsh, but there's a you would do it too if you're a ghost. You would just gravitate toward the people you were closest to and draw on their energy. Not in a harmful way, you just don't have your own. It's cold. so what happens in the movies when the ghosts are in the room. It gets cold, right? So they're drawing energy. You would do it too. And it's sad for them. It's confusing to be dead and to not become an ancestor. But all, all, all these things I'm speaking about might seem surprising or new to some people, but it's very basic for a lot of cultures. It's just like Europe generalizing, stopped believing in, in this stuff. And so it doesn't mean it stops happening. I could stop believing in germs, but I'm still going to get a cold or get an infection.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to loop back to that in just a second. But um, one of the things you talk about in your book is this idea that there's like ancestral blessings and burdens in each of your lines. So like your mother's mother's line and your mother's father's line, like the four, the primary lines that come down through your ancestors. Um, So how can we, like in a very simple way, how can we start working with these ancestors and acknowledging them and just starting to kind of yeah dip our toe in the water of reconnecting with them
1: well if you just sit down in a conscious state and say i open myself to the love and wisdom and kindness of you know my ancestors the ones who are healed the ones who are in a good state i welcome them to back my life to support me and to guide me you know say something heartfelt like that where you're saying those who are well draw close those who are still troubled respect to you, but please take a step back. Holding that intent and really um, affirming it strongly sets things in motion. So being intentional and accepting that right at the front end of a process, you might need to do a little bit of learning to reclaim a framework. Like if you want to know how to not be racist in a culture that tends to encourage, often unconsciously, racism, you might say, well, who can help me with this? I might need to read a book. I might need to like level up a little bit because this is a gap in my education. Well, it's like that with honoring the ancestors as well. It's not, there's not so much to learn, but you might need to learn a little bit of a framework to navigate it safely. It's the same if you've never like dated before. You're like, oh, Jesus, now I'm going to go on a date. How does this work? Uh, so, it's same. you got to learn, it's learning to navigate a whole nother realm of human complexity because the ancestors are human. They're people. They have agency. They're not that different than us.
0: What about, um, I guess you can do that. W- wanted to look at the topic of kind of naming the ancestors. Cause I know for not everyone, you know, is able to trace, put names to their ancestors, but I mean, do you think there's, if we start like kind of, yeah, naming them and kind of consciously remembering them that way, does that do anything, add anything? Like, is that important? Yeah, yeah it's,
1: it's a mixed bag, actually. It's a, I mean, just knowing the names of your people and about the history, that's good. I think it's good to do that, period. Now, naming them out loud with the intent, conscious or unconscious, to like call them or to invoke them, um, you, you want to be mindful with that because there's a risk that it would work and if it works you get whoever you get if your ancestors were abusive trolls and they haven't really shifted that energy since they died and you call out their names uh around a fire one night because it's like interesting to do it and they actually respond then that energy is in the field for you and that's not always Mm. that's not necessarily helpful I don't think it's helpful ritually to invoke the ghosts uh, unless you know what Mm -hmm. you're doing. So once you know that your ancestors are actually ancestors and that they're not just ghosts, that they're well-seated, they're rooted in love and wisdom, kindness, healed energy, great. Invoke them all day long. Let them back you, guide you, resource you. So good. But discernment up front is important, and names can consciously or unconsciously, have the intent of invoking. Mm. So that's the only caution. And it's important to know that people were adopted or conceived through artificial insemination or through violence or however it is. It doesn't diminish your ability to relate directly with your own ancestors of blood and of body and to have them powerfully back your
0: Mm. life. So it doesn't really matter. We don't need to use the names. It's really just inviting in the healed well ancestors to come support us um, more, more doing something like that to start to interact with them rather than picking out a specific person.
1: It's true. I don't tend to relate. Uh, and it, there are moments where it happens, but mostly I'm relating with ancestral lineages or groups rather than individuals. The, the, individualistic tendency in Western culture tends to get projected onto how people approach ancestor reverence by just wanting to relate with like grandma or this famous great uncle or whatever. I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying traditionalists in a lot of places around the world will tend to relate with big uh, communities and collectives and lineages of the dead uh, before just individuals.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think you wrote in your book about setting up like an ancestral altar or some sort of space, um, a sacred space to work with the ancestors. But I think I'm, tell me if I got this wrong, but that you were recommending against putting pictures of specific people on there. And is that for the same reason?
1: It is. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not saying you, you shouldn't put images on there. I'm saying recognize that the dead change and you want to make sure that if you set someone's image on an actual shrine rather than just a remembering place. Again, a remembering place, is just like doing the research, no problem. But if it's an altar or shrine, a point of contact with the dead, you want to make sure that it's actually an ancestor altar, not like a ghost hangout spot. Mm -hmm. And so if the person is truly well in spirit, the, the etiquette that I like to follow is to ask them, do you want your picture out? They may or may not. For some, it's like, why do you need that picture out? That's me 80 years ago. It's like my high school photograph or something. Like you, So they might uh, not identify that much with the image you have uh, because they've changed. They dwell in the present. The ancestors are not memories. They are the spirits and souls of the previously incarnate ones as they relate with us in the present moment right here
0: and now. I'd like to talk with you about um, the idea of ritual because I think that can sound really intimidating to people or uncomfortable or weird if they you know they're like "Ooh, I don't know how to do a ritual like they need someone special to lead them in a ritual was it a ritual to you like how do you define that term and and is that something we can all access
1: yeah. oh it's great I've been steeped in ritual religion spirituality for 25 years and I just we're just now starting a foundations of ritual online course so I've been grappling with this and It's tricky to define a bit, and I think it's less important to define it as to say that um, there are common elements like intentionality and often, but not always, seeking to connect or relate with another. It could be another living human, it could be an ancestor, it could be the spirit of a mountain or a plant. And ritual often um, involves some kind of set beginning and ending. And So a common thing is it's a technology or an approach or a a set of techniques for the facilitate relationship. And and so couples, two living units who want to get along better, might do a ritual to support uh, clear communication, for example. But I suppose if you have to um, try to define ritual, it's just intentional behavior in a sense. And yeah, is it repetitive? Sometimes, but not always. And there are many kinds of rituals. The reclaiming of those skills for relationship is something anybody can engage in. And it doesn't have to be in the context of one set tradition or lineage, although that's fine. I tend to think of it a bit like cooking. You don't really have to study like Thai food or Indian cooking in order to learn how to make a fried egg. And so there are basic things you can do on a personal level that are enjoyable, empowering, and um, help to focus energy, help to get you more aligned with your own personal destiny, and to just move well in the world. So in traditional cultures, generally speaking, everybody knows a little bit of ritual because it's like basic life maintenance.
0: Could you give us an example? Um, You mentioned like, you know, getting aligned with your personal destiny. I think that's something that will really jump out to a lot of people listening. Like what's a simple, I don't know, is there a simple ritual that we could all incorporate in our lives to get, just to try it out, to feel some of the benefits? With that
1: particular topic of destiny, a lot of it is hotter, colder. You can ask, you can get in the habit of asking, like, even if you're going to accept a social plan or you're going to you know choose to go here there whatever it is. you can be in the habit of quieting your mind if you can listening to your heart and your belly and your body wisdom and to try your best to tune into the question of is this generally on the trajectory of my soul level destiny, purpose, etc like do I get a kind of instinctual yes here or do I get a no? And you're not always going to be clear, but if we just tried that, that hotter, colder kind of thing, and honored the signal even when it's surprising, and started to move more and more toward the yes, over time the signal gets stronger, and your whole life will tend to reorganize. Mm. So it now is possible to call in ancestral support, or help from the spirits, or do ritual to increase The clarity of that signal, but even just listening to your own heart and body wisdom, so it's not only mental, will uh, result in more aligned choices over time.
0: Absolutely. I always think of that as like your inner compass. I know I've always had a sense of it, and I used to ignore it and go with my head instead, and that doesn't work out very well. So um, it's a little bit of a radical act of trust, I think, to trust your body to lead you in the right direction. For sure. Mm what do you wish more people knew about this type of ancestor work
1: that it's our birthright and that we're not alone and that what people suffer from loneliness which is terrible and fatal at times that it's actually avoidable because it's false for one it doesn't mean the suffering isn't super real because it is but The cultural conditioning that says the ancestors don't exist, you can't talk to trees, the earth isn't intelligent, uh, the mountain doesn't have a soul or a spirit, that cultural condition isolates us and it causes psychological damage It causes death and destruction unnecessarily to the earth. And it's possible to learn how to come back into relationship with the others and that doesn't require a weird spiritual identity. It doesn't mean you need a website. It doesn't mean you need to go to the Amazon. It's a really human thing and learnable in a grounded mm-hmm. way to come back into relationship. is good for us. Mm-hmm. It's good for the earth
0: mm-hmm. also. And it, like you said, it's so simple, right? It's just going outside and starting to notice nature and be open to connecting with nature. Is that How do you usually recommend yeah. people start getting connected with that?
1: start speaking out loud to the others. Start speaking to your houseplants and to the land where you're at and to your own wise and loving ancestors. But speak out loud to them because when you speak out loud to them, you're revisiting the moment in your lineages where your people stopped doing that uh, because they needed to for survival because they sold out on some level or because they were uh, shamed and judged for it. Uh, Or whatever it is, there's a point where that habit broke down if you didn't have it modeled for you by your family. And it's possible to just enter back into conversation again. So start speaking out loud and then listen because sometimes there's a response. But start to act as if the others, the other than humans, are as real as us, that their family, their kin, they're part of an extended web of relationships.
0: Well, I've always talked out loud to my houseplants and I try to get my husband to do it while I'm, when I'm away and he doesn't, I don't know if he does it yet, but, um, uh, this gives me a little extra motivation to get him to talk to them too. So, um, uh, so tell us, I know you've got a few different, a couple different online courses, obviously your book, we'll put that in the show notes, but tell us about the courses that you have available. If people want to go deeper into your work.
1: Yeah, there's a course that's open until October 21st, I believe, on Foundations of Ritual that I'm excited about. It's an intro course, but we're taking the topics like ritual safety and invocation and prayer and song and tradition and the basics and trying to present those at depth with a lot of interactive time. And then later in November, the Ancestral Lineage Healing online course starts, and that's a thorough a 14 lesson breakdown with a lot of support throughout in moving through a process of getting to know your own love lineage ancestors. That'll be our third time running that. And then we have an animism course, uh, which focuses on the relating with the other than humans and the land that'll begin again in the spring. And beyond that, folks can connect with the practitioners I've trained for session work. Uh, And that can happen at distance, no problem. So. That's available in a few languages. And all the info on that is at ancestralmedicine.org. And there are in person trainings as well. And lots of free resources for folks who are, you know, just want to get more involved or hear more about where I'm
0: coming from. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to be taking the November course, the Ancestral Lineage Healing course, which I'm really excited about. I've been working through the book, um, but I think you know, going through it with a group. And of course, it's going to be great. So thank you so much for the work that you do and putting it out in the world and raising awareness about um, this wisdom that we've lost, these practices that we've lost.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Amanda. And just, just as a final thing to underscore, these things are learned even in a real traditional setting and they're normal. And so I would invite listeners, whether or not you engage with what I'm doing, to have confidence in your own ability to relearn these relational skills and capacities and that it's uh, enjoyable Mm -hmm.
0: thank you so much daniel it's been great chatting with you thank you Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpruner podcast, especially this episode is so different than what we normally talk about. I hope it really sparked your curiosity and got you thinking about how you might be able to incorporate your ancestors into your own personal practices. As always, you can find all the links we talked about in this episode in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com. Also, if you're not on my email list, you can sign up for that at wellpreneuronline.com as well so that you never miss a podcast episode. And you'll also get some behind the scenes looks and the the best um, articles and interviews and information to help you do well and be well in your business and your life. So until next week, I will leave it here. I hope to see you in our Facebook community You can connect with me on Instagram at Wellpreneur. And of course, you can reply back to any of my emails to get directly in touch and let me know your biggest takeaway from this episode or any of our other podcasts. Have a fantastic week and I'll see you back here next week with the final episode of this season of the Wellpreneur podcast.